May God bless you greatly. And a very special greeting with great affection to you all, the brothers and the sisters of the church worldwide, and to the people who have joined us for the first time and newcomers, our first-time guests that are joining us, a special greeting to you as well. And I invite you to be attentive to this sermon of the Word of God, which edifies our spiritual life and that fills us with faith and motivates us to continue forward. It gives us the strength to continue on in life and continue fighting. And so with all of our heart, we prepare ourselves to praise and glorify our God. And so you may be seated. You can get comfortable, each of you, and we're going to be singing a hymn that we have accustomed to singing. And this is our hymn without any musical background or instrumentation. But either way, we sing with all of our heart and we are joyful and are very happy. Our soul is glad. Our spirit rejoices in God for everything that we do is with all of our heart for him. And so you at home, you too, open up hymn number 68, titled, Nearer, Still Nearer. And well, that is what we all long for each day, to be nearer to God, or that he be nearer to us, and that God never forsakes or leaves us. So hymn 68. Sere kama, sere Cerca, más cerca, cual pobre soy. Nada, Señor, yo te puedo ofrecer. Solo mi ser Cielo, pueda ascender. 
Siempre conmigo estarás. And so that shall be, that is our desire, that our Lord be with us, that we be with him there in eternity, rejoicing in the presence of the Lord and enjoying his marvelous glory. And today, well, we are going to continue with our beautiful sermon in 2 Corinthians. And what we have prepared to read in 2 Corinthians is chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which is the continuation of chapter 5. Now, chapter 5 continues, and before, when we were in verse 11, it spoke of the ministry of reconciliation. And while speaking of this ministry of reconciliation, that here in verse 20 of chapter 5, when the apostle says, Now then, we are ambassadors. And this is in reference to him and the other apostles, the other preachers of that time. Who, well, they were those ambassadors entrusted in carrying the word of God and entrusted in reconciling or making the name of God known to people, to the world of that time. And that's why he said they were ambassadors. And in verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. So he says, we, we implore you on Christ's behalf. So we implore you on Christ's behalf that you be reconciled to God. So be reconciled to God. For he who did not know any sin, which was Jesus Christ, it says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He made himself a sinner for us, for our sake. But he committed no sin ever. And it says that he, for us, he made himself sin so that we, human beings, might become the righteousness of God in him, Jesus Christ. And now in chapter 6, which we are reading today, it says, We then, after this invitation, be reconciled to God. After this wonderful invitation, he says, we then, as workers together with him, so they would call themselves workers of God. Like today, we too, we are workers of God. And the apostle says, we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you. Plead with you not to receive the grace of God or the word of God. This treasure, this wonderful treasure of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, do not receive it in vain. Receive it in your hearts. Though in a part he said that we have this treasure stored in earthen vessels. And that treasure is the gospel, the word of God. It is that which we have from God, his Holy Spirit, his marvelous, wonderful spiritual gifts. That is the treasure. And it is in earthen vessels, meaning it's our bodies, our body, which was made into this earthen vessel. And it says, and so no one, not one, not in that time, nor today, that no one should have to belittle or to receive in vain, meaning to not give it the value that it deserves, the word of our God, his wonderful word of the gospel, this new method that he formed and instilled 
after his crucifixion there on the cross of Calvary, this new covenant that was made by the Lord. And now I'm asked, well, how many covenants did God make? The Lord formed a covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai. There he made a covenant saying he would have a plan of salvation for his people, that he was going to form a nation and he was going to give them a plan of salvation with some requirements, some laws and commandments. That was the covenant made with Moses on Sinai and God gave him the tablets of the law. Later on comes another covenant, which is the one on the cross of Calvary when our Lord Jesus Christ, once he concluded and fulfilled Word for word, the law of Moses, for he fulfilled the law of Moses. And once it was all fulfilled, he said, now is the time. And now this cycle has come to an end, or this plan of salvation, or this method of salvation is ending and a new one is being born. And it is born with Jesus Christ and the covenant that he made with the Father was on the cross of Calvary with the shedding of his blood. That was the other covenant, the new plan of salvation, the new method of salvation. And now following the path of Jesus Christ, following the path of the pure gospel, following the path where the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is with the believers, dwelling in them, in their hearts, and also surrounding them and giving the spiritual gifts so that men and women who are believers can be transformed and can change their life into a new one and are able to be born again, to be new, a new creation. And so that verse is fulfilled that those who believe in Jesus Christ receives and accepts him, they come or he comes The Spirit of God comes to dwell with this person, and so the old things of this person have now passed, and now everything is new from here on out, a new life. A new life without any vices, addictions, without any sinning tendencies, without any weaknesses of sin, without any of those extreme passions of the world. This person is born anew, for it is the Holy Spirit who is the one working the miracle in the hearts of these men and women that are believers. This is why the apostle says, do not receive the grace of God in vain. For he remembers a biblical verse in Isaiah 49 verse 8. And he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. We're reading 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah many centuries back, many, many centuries. And he was speaking to the people that in the future, God was going to have mercy, that he was going to have pity of them. And then that time, that acceptable time, it says, I have heard you. And what was this acceptable time? It was the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ when he began to preach and to fulfill the law of Moses and to teach the law of Moses to many so that they could fulfill it as well. And along the way, he too was beginning to preach the kingdom of heaven, which is the gospel. When he was doing this in that time, or that time was called the acceptable time. And in an acceptable time, I have heard you. So he preaching and many hearts converting to God. So that is fulfilled. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. So those believers, those who believed and accepted, well, this verse came to pass for them just as it is coming to pass in our lives today. For we today, we have this acceptable time, that's this day, and that is the manifestation of the Spirit of God with his wonderful spiritual gifts God ruling over his church and his people. 
God is there in the midst of sincere hearts that love and seek him, who call upon him. This is that acceptable time, and that is the day of salvation. There is no need to belittle it. We have no need to belittle this opportunity for this day. This means it's an opportunity that we have. This opportunity or this acceptable time or this day of salvation is the opportunity that we have to be saved and to enter the kingdom of God one day to rejoice with God for all eternity. And how long has this acceptable time been in function or this day of salvation? Well, from the time that our Lord Jesus began to preach his word, when he was alive in person on earth. And then he left and sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit from that time has been working, has been working in the world, working in hearts, the hearts of men and women that are humble and modest, who are willing to love God and to accept God, his word, and to follow his ways. Blessed is the Lord, for today we are here. We are in the presence of God. We are standing before God. And he, he is weighing our hearts. He is weighing our hearts. He is who knows who is who. But we all, we're all running. We're all here in this fight, trying to reach that goal and we're doing that. So therefore, it says, behold, now is the accepted time. The Apostle Paul says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now, I'm sure when the Apostle Paul was preaching this, maybe a hundred years had passed since the Lord had ascended into the heavens, or maybe 80 or 60, 70, I'm not sure. I don't pay too much attention to the history of the time, but approximately Many years had passed at that point, and he says, Behold, now is the accepted time. And today, after 2,000 plus years, I also say, Now is the accepted time. It is today. So behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So there is no need to put down the word of God. No one should ever belittle the word of God, his divine word. And what word might we say? Well, this, Bi this Bible is a written book by human beings, yes. But those human beings were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we also have the word of God, prophecy. We have visions and dreams, revelations, the spiritual gifts, discernment. All of that is the word of God. It is not just this. This is not just the word of God, but we have the living word of God when he speaks to us through prophecy. I repeat, visions and dreams, spiritual gifts, revelations. God is always speaking to us. And this is why he says, behold, now in this time, this is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Do not belittle it. Do not Take the things of our Lord in vain. When you hear prophecy and God speaks to you, speaks those hidden things of your heart, the secrets of your heart, things that are personal that no one else knew, you cry and you say, yes, God spoke to me. God is here. But so then later, you then maybe throw that by the wayside. Maybe you hide that treasure, the word of God. You hide it and you continue on with your life as usual in the world, your life of sin. No, no. We mustn't do that. You can't do that. We must take advantage of time because the Lord made a calling. And so why did you belittle that call from the Lord? Continue forward. Continue reading the Bible and learn how to pray. Learn how to sing. Learn how to seek God and cry out to him and follow his path. Do not belittle what God is offering. Now in verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Now here, this was speaking of bearing a good testimony. So they were bearing good testimony so that people would believe in their preaching. And today, we are very careful 
in bearing good testimony and good examples so that people believe us. For this is the way that we are able to have authority. If we have no authority, well, then no one hears us. No one believes us. Much less will they ever obey. But authority, and as you can see, it also comes from God's behalf because he is the one who gives the support. He is the one who gives that authority. And verse 4, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses. Well, all of this, the apostle and the rest, would suffer. And today, it is the same. We too, we suffer tribulations. We also suffer and we are in need of certain things. And also, we suffer through distresses in life. And in verse 5, the apostle said that he also suffered in stripes and imprisonments. Well, Thanks be to God that today we are not suffering this type of punishment and not, not the stripes or imprisonment, but maybe we suffer in a different way. We suffer by the different kinds of attacks and persecution of the enemy. Verse number six, by purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. By now always placing patience in front of us and always knowing that we need to continue to be consistent and constant. And here he was specifying everything that they had to do and follow and be an example in order to convince those very hard hearts of that time, like maybe even perhaps today, there are many hearts that are hard and, and stubborn and rebellious, but we must continue in this fight. And maybe perhaps these tribulations are welcomed in our life because when there are these tribulations, God then gives us victory. And how beautiful it is when God gives us victory, when God gives us triumph. It is something beautiful. And we forget about everything that we have suffered through. We forget about all the sadness and all the distresses. And in verse number six, by purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. So meaning on the left and right hand, we fight with all of those spiritual armor, fighting against the enemy and God giving, of course, victory. And in verse number eight, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true for they would be called in that time, they would call them deceivers and liars, just as today people, those rebellious and foolish, those hard of heart, today they also call us. They say that we're liars, we're deceivers, con, con people or con artists, that we're deceiving people, and that's what they call us. But glory be to God, our Father, who is standing up for all of us, just as he stood up in that time for these apostles. He today stands up for us and defends us. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Verse number nine, and unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live. So here he is listing out all of the suffering and tribulations that he faced, but he came out of all of that, unharmed, as ch chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. And it says as poor. Yeah, yes, I'm sure. Maybe they lack something. Maybe they didn't have a place to sleep. Maybe sometimes they had to sleep under a tree. But it says here, yet making many rich, by giving them that spiritual riches, giving that spiritual riches, which is better. Spiritual riches are better than those physical riches in life and of the world. And he was saying, yes, poor, yet they were making the hearts of many rich with their, their gospel. And in verse number 10, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Yes, in this world, not having anything, 
no possessions or no riches, not having a home. But what they did have was that wealth of God, yet they possessed everything, yes. How could they not think this way? How could they not believe they possessed all things because they knew that the day that they died, they would be in God's presence. They would be with him, rejoicing and enjoying God's presence there in eternity, yet possessing all things. Verse 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Now the apostle here was speaking of he and his companions, the other preachers, the other prophets and apostles that were preaching along his, along his side. And they also were facing these tribulations and persecutions, but that either way, God was bringing them all out of those troubles. And so that too happens to us. This is why this is not strange to read and we can't say, well, this only happened in that time and this no longer happens today, but it does. It happens today because the enemy still exists. The enemy exists and he tries to harm us in one way or another by using different types of uh, weapons. Like in, in the time of antiquity, the apostle mentioned stripes and imprisonment when they also would go would be would locked up in dungeons where there was no light and they would chain them up as well today what does our enemy do to us how does he persecute us through the internet that's how the enemy also persecutes us because they start to write terrible things that we do or that we're not doing so you see the, the way that the enemy attacks. The enemy is not, does never get tired in harming the children of God. So we have this enemy, and in the future, we don't know what kind of methods he will employ to try and go against the children of God. But all of us will be warned. We are, of course, those who are coming in the future, God will prepare them. They have been forewarned to fight against this enemy. Because we must continue forward and attain eternal life to rejoice with God. And so here in verse number 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Meaning, he wanted them to be open and free to be filled with God's power, to be filled with what was spiritual, living a holy, perfect life before God. But they rather felt oppressed as if they were being forced to, as if the apostles were against them, accusing them. So this is why he said, no, you shouldn't feel this way. Feel free, feel open. Feel completely open just so that you can praise God and have God in your heart. What we do is teach the doctrine. We're teaching you. Do not believe that we're trying to oppress you and force you. No. The things of God is not something that is forced or an obligation. It is done with your heart and with love. Verse 13. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. So you be open, be free, believe. And give freedom to the Spirit of God. Do not be confused. Do not be worried. Do not be, feel forced. Do not feel fearful or threatened at any time. Continue forward. And here in verse number 14, the apostle says, after giving them this guidance and advice, and after having listed all the tribulations that they had to live and face, he says, now tells them how you need to live your life in the midst of society. In the midst of society, you need to know how to live your life. You need to live among people because, well, all of the world is not going to believe in God. There are those who are rebellious and foolish who don't believe in God, those who won't accept. And you need to live in the world because of your, of your work, your education, whatever it might be. You need to be surrounded by these people in the world. And how, how do you live your life? How should we live our life? So in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And we might also say, can water be mixed with oil? You can't. So this verse, when it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, it has many interpretations. It has many different uh, interpretations, and it is also, it also speaking of couples when they get married. And it's also about friendships, about friendships with people of the world. And it's also that if a man or woman, if they are in the church with the spiritual gifts, being a son or daughter of God, with spiritual gifts, and they go about the world and they find themselves in the world with people, and maybe they find that there is someone and says, let's be a couple, let's get married, let's become husband and wife. But this person does not believe in God. This person does not want to believe in God and will not submit to seeking the path of God. And so do you think it is nice then for you to fall in love with this person? Because if they are showing you that they don't believe or accept, then what will you do? Will you say, I will abandon the path of God to follow after this man or woman because I have fallen in love with him? Or rather, I will seek my peace and tranquility and my well-being and my stability in my sentimental life. I think that there should be understanding, intelligence, and wisdom in these people before making this decision. Because many times, not even people who have these ties with others of different religious beliefs, because there are some religions, very demanding religions, that they have certain very strict rules for women more so than men. So be very careful with who you fall in love with and with who you marry so that later on in life you do not need to shed tears of blood. And so be very careful. It is preferable. It is preferable, the Apostle Paul said, it is preferable to remain alone, but not to go and make these mistakes that you will need or will have to lament yourself later, and this is in regards to marriage. Now, also when it comes to friendships, unequal yoke, or it's also friendships in the world. And so you might say, well, I have my friend, I have a great friend, and this friend of mine is an atheist. And I'm a part of the church. I have the spiritual gifts. I serve God. But I have my friend over here. And, well, I'm with my friend. And they invite me. And when, when they invite me, I go with them. They invite me to cabarets. They invite me to these clubs, these places where they drink a lot of alcohol, where they dance, and they are speaking uh, obscene words. There's orgies and so many, so many things. In the midst of the drunkenness, they do these things, these pleasures of the flesh. And this person uses a very obscene vocabulary, and that's my friend. So I accompany them because they asked me to go with them, so I go with them. This brother of the church who says they have their friend who 
They accompany to go do those things. Well, he ends up contaminating himself. He ends up defiling his spiritual life because he can't go there and sit down and remain still because then everyone's going to say, well, what's wrong with this person? So he needs to participate in the same things. He needs to participate in the same thing that is around them. And so their spiritual life is defiled. So that is not a friendship. That's not a good friend. Now, people can say, well, I have people that I know. I have someone that I know, an acquaintance in my company uh, or in this store or in this mall or in this plaza. I have some acquaintances who there's some sales there. And since I know them, they they prefer working with me. They give me a good price. So I'm going to go with them. Now, you don't say I have my friend here because that's something so different. So with acquaintances that I have, they're not going to drag me off into participating in their worldly things that corrupt the soul, nor am I going to find myself forced to be with those people, those acquaintances, I'm not forced to do those things with them, but maybe with a friend, I am. So we must distinguish between what a friend is and an acquaintance. Now, I heard a brother from the church, for example. I heard a brother from the church. He has spiritual gifts and he serves God. And then they share a story about their life with me and says, well, I have a friend. I have a friend there in this place. And I ask, is he from the church? Well, no. And I say, well, then why is he your friend? Because if he's not a part of the church, well, I don't think he is your friend. Maybe he's an acquaintance. Maybe you have an acquaintance over there and that person gives you a good price or, or helps you out or invites you to something, but a friend? A friend not, because your friends are those who also are in the church doing God's will. Those would be my friends. So this is why our Lord Jesus Christ, in a given time, he told the apostles, he said, you are my friends. Glory to God. Blessed is the name of the Lord. You are my friends. Friends are those who seek God along with me. Those are my friends. Everyone else, they are my acquaintances. As they are my acquaintances, well, they have no reason to force me. They have no right to force me to do what they do and take part in the worldly things that they do. That's it. That is what it means to not be unequally yoked together. Do not be unequally yoked. It's those two things with marriage Yes, with marriage and also with friendships with people of the world. And the apostle also speaks of righteousness with lawlessness. Well, they have no fellowship, nor does, is there any communion with light and with darkness. And in verse 15, And what accord has Christ with Belial? And who is the devil? Well, there isn't. There is no part. There is no cord. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So how can they come to an agreement, a believer with an unbeliever? How can they ever come to some sort of an agreement? Well, it's impossible. It can't be done. In verse 16, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? So what agreement is there between the temple of God with idols? Well, it says, for you, please pay attention here, brothers and sisters. It says, for you, and I would like for you all to read this. Now, let's start again. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, and here we're going to read it in Leviticus and Ezekiel to see if this is true. Now the verse says, For you are the temple of the living God. So brothers and sisters, if we are the temple of the living God, and, and now we're going to prove that, 
then this does not apply. I know that you, I know that you're going to start to probably debate and say, well, what do I do? I, I came to church and my husband doesn't want to come to church. And now I've been in the church for 10 years and my husband has never wanted to come even to this day. He is an unbeliever. And so what do I do? Do I separate? No, you don't separate. If your husband, if your husband, for me, there's maybe other terms that people use in other places other than husband, but I think the term husband is better. So if your husband doesn't want to separate from you, wants to live with you, well then continue living together. The fact that you arrived to the church and you converted to God, but your husband has not converted, well, there's nothing to be done there. You continue forward as a marriage. But ask God. Ask God to give your husband the opportunity to know God and to one day be saved. Yes, of course. Pray to God for that. Because if not, well, then I begin to receive emails saying, well, what do I do? I arrive to the church. Did I separate from my husband? He's an unbeliever. No, no, no. Just as you arrive to the church, remain in that position. You arrived with a husband, so stay with that husband. You arrived divorced, will remain divorced because God will do something different with you. And if you arrived suffering with your husband, well, God will resolve your problem. Do not be worried. Just as you arrived, remain as such. Don't do anything because the matter of a marriage, God will never split up a marriage. God will never split up and separate a marriage. On the contrary, he joins the couple together more strongly. So do not worry about that. What we're talking about here is the decision of a man or a woman for the first time. They are single and they make the decision. You got, they have to be very careful with who they're going to make this commitment with. And so it says that we are the temple of the living God. And we're going to take a look at here what Leviticus Twenty six in Leviticus twenty six twelve in Leviticus twenty six twelve. It says, I will walk. Now, this speaks of the blessings that God was going to give his people for obeying his commandments and laws. Now, among the blessings, which are many, he says to them in verse 11, 26 Leviticus, verse 11, I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Now let us go to 2 Corinthians, for there is another note here in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37. And there is that promise where God says that because you obey my commandments, I will place my tabernacle among you, I will be with them, dwelling with the people. And here in Ezekiel 37, verse 27, I'll read here a little bit before verse 27 and verse 26. Did you not hear long ago how I made that covenant with the believers, those believers in Jesus Christ, that new generation with those who were following that covenant? with Jesus on the cross of Calvary, with all the believers after this covenant. Verse 26, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary, so I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. So this is speaking of the future. Here in Ezekiel, God was speaking of a future. This future began to be fulfilled with the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He did fulfill all of the law of Moses, and then he annulled it on the cross of Calvary. 
And this is why our Lord Jesus Christ began with this new method of salvation, this new plan, which was that everyone who believes in him as a son of God, as God, as the only way that leads to eternal life, whoever believes and follows him, that person shall be saved. That person shall be called son or daughter of God. Because from there on out, they begin a new life. They begin pleasing God and keeping his commandments. This. So, it says, My tabernacle, or I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. And God established his sanctuary. And what was that sanctuary? The heart of a man or woman who follows the Lord. That is the sanctuary. That's the temple now. It was no longer a physical temple from the time of our Lord Jesus and resurrection, the physical temple was left forgotten and was now history. Because in antiquity, that physical temple, it was valid for God. And God would manifest himself once a year in that temple and would speak to the high priest. Once a year, the high priest would enter into the most holy place and would speak to God. And that high priest needed to live an upright life without sin, for had he been in sin, he would die instantly in the most holy place. So he needed to be completely or living a holy life to be able to speak to God once a year. In that physical temple, God made it be respected until when? Until our Lord Jesus died on the cross of Calvary and resurrected on the third day. Until that date, that is when God valued that physical temple of the people of antiquity, the people of Israel. And so what happened later that here, these prophets like Ezekiel, God speaking of that future, saying he was going to establish and set his sanctuary, meaning his temple, but no longer was it a physical temple, it was now a spiritual temple. That temple is spiritual. He said he was going to set that sanctuary in their midst, in the midst of the believers forevermore. And forevermore is for all eternity. He says, I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so that marvelous promise is coming to pass. And the Apostle Paul, knowing these promises, he brings them to light because in truth, God or the Holy Spirit was revealing his word to him. So we're here in verse 16. And it says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, and as we read in Ezekiel 37, 27, and as God said to Moses in Leviticus 26, 12. Now in verse 17, we're going to read, Therefore, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. This was spoken by Isaiah in chapter 52. And let's read a little bit in Isaiah 52 so that we can see that also through Isaiah, the Lord spoke. He spoke about the same topic, the same promise. It was about the same plan that God had for the future for his children, for his sons and daughters, believers in Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 52, verse 11, which says, It says here that it is a promise that God is freeing Israel from captivity. Now, Israel was his remnant. He had a remnant that God had in that time, in the time of that prophet Isaiah, and in that time of the kings. There was a remnant that God was protecting to save. For through this remnant would come our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is why God needed to take care of his remnant, and he cared for them. 
He cared for them so much, but also punished them because they were led as captives and as slaves to Babylon for over 70 years. And so it was his remnant he was protecting, but also he punished them with the rod and they suffered greatly in that place. But he still saved their lives. So this remnant is who in verse chapter 52 of Isaiah, verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news who proclaims peace who was this well it was no one else but our lord jesus christ preaching the gospel and also after our lord jesus christ who followed after well his followers his apostles and later In the church, he also established evangelists, teachers, pastors. All of them, they are those who are preaching the good tidings of salvation. This verse is for them, verse number 7 of chapter number 52 of Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns, glory to our God. Your God reigns, yes, our God reigns. And our God reigns today, powerful is our God. And so it says in verse the verse that we were going to read in verse 11, so this very wonderful promise, it says in verse 8, your watchmen, who were the watchmen? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, they are the watchmen. Verse 8, your watchmen shall lift up their voices With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Yes, they saw our Lord Jesus Christ. They saw his glory, his manifestation when he preached, when he taught, when he worked miracles and wonders in that time. They saw it, all of them. They saw the work of the divine Savior. And later in verse 11, it says, God here begins to tell his children, his chosen ones, to be very careful, to depart from all evil, and to not be in friendships with the world, to not be friends with sin, to not defile their spiritual lives, and to be careful. He says, depart, verse 11, depart, depart, go out from there. So go out from sin, go out from wherever they practice all types of unclean things, witchery or witchcraft, conjurings, all of those types of things. It says, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her or from that place of destruction. It says, be or be clean you who bear the vessels of the lord those who have the spiritual gifts of the holy spirit the gift of god what god has given his children the armor to defend themselves from the enemy those wonderful spiritual gifts that convert the soul they convert the heart of man the manifestation of god those who bear that they are the vessels of the lord He says, go out from there. Do not touch any unclean thing, nor practice those things. Go out from there. Go out from there, for you are holy. Now we continue in 2 Corinthians. So in verse 17, the apostle was reminding them and saying, well, just as it says in Isaiah 52, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Verse 18, I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters. Glory to the Lord. He says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so, brothers and sisters, are we going to undervalue God? Are we going to disparage the Father of glory, the King of glory, the Holy King, the Almighty? the one who made us, the one who has us here in his presence? Are we 
going to think of nothing of he who gives life and gives oxygen to us to breathe and who gives us rain in due time and food in its time? Are we going to despise this being that exists? This supernatural being that exists and rules us. We today, we are not going to undervalue him. Here, the Apostle Paul, he struggled. He struggled and fought to teach the churches. To teach them the existence of this mighty, great, merciful, and filled of love God. And we today, 2,000 plus years today, we are doing the same. We have the same feeling the Apostle Paul had, with the same conviction, with the same security. God is the same yesterday and today. That God of yesterday was a merciful God. He was merciful to those who were merciful. He was a God of love, of patience, a mighty God. But also with the rebellious and foolish, he was a God who was consuming fire and he punished. And today he does the same. It is the same. That God who we know here through the Bible with his acts, where we see wonderful acts of obedience, of people who believed in him, loved him, and obeyed him. And we also see the great blessings. And we also see the great punishment to those who were rebellious and disobedient in heart of heart. Today, we also see that same God, that merciful and just God, righteous God, when people obey, when people are humble, and prepare and set their hearts for God. And what is it to set your heart for God? It is to say, Lord, I believe. I believe and I want. I want to do your will. I want to please you. Help me. Help me, Lord. I love you, Lord. That is to set yourself for God. And so today we also have this God, the same of yesterday and the same today, and he will be the same forevermore. So the honor and the glory is for our God. And here in this chapter 7 of this verse, verse 1, and so, therefore, having these promises, beloved, these promises from God, it says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Meaning, so let us turn away. Let us turn away from sin. And let us not sin. And let us not defile ourselves. And know of this unequal yoke. It means many things. So that we put this to practice. So that you do not go about with your loved ones in sinning. That because, okay, they're your family and they go off and sin. And since it's your family, then you need to be there with them. Also practicing and doing the same things. That's unequal yoke. And so what communion has light with darkness? Now, it doesn't mean we're going to abandon people and we're going to stop saying hello. No, because that would be rude. You can say hello to people. You will always be well-mannered and greet people. And if there is someone who is sinning and maybe that person needs help, maybe they suffered an accident or they're in need and there's no one to help them and I'm here, well, then I need to lend a hand to that person. The fact that they are unbelieving or they're a sinner and they do not want to accept the things of God or be a part of my things, well, it doesn't mean that I need to turn my back on them and despise them. No, let's not confuse things. What God forbids is that, that friendship and saying, oh, well, since they're my friend and I'll do what he does. No. We won't do what others do. What we're going to do is set a good example. And so if you're invited to a dinner, a lunch, and there's not going to be any drunkenness, and it's a close member of your family who invited you, well, because you're well-mannered, you go to that lunch, you go to that dinner. But if you begin to see that they start doing things that are displeasing, things that don't make you happy, well, very carefully and very wise and prudently, 
you say goodbye and you leave. But you're not going to do what they do or what they're going to start to do, or if they're speaking uh, profanities, are you going to do the same thing? No, that is what a friend does. A friend does what the other one tells them to do, and if not, they're, they're not friends. And so you need to take a careful look at what that word friend means. What does it mean? And you will find and you will understand and comprehend that people confuse friendships with acquaintances, which is different. And so I can have a lot of people that I know, many acquaintances, but my friends, they are the children of God. Because I do what he does, and he does what I do. Blessed is the name of our Lord. Let us pray, O blessed Heavenly Father, eternal God. Thank you, Holy Father, for this opportunity to be here before your presence. And to bless you and praise you and honor you with the sermon. And to highlight your glorious name, your mercy and power. And we highlight your name, Lord. We lift up your existence. And we want to preach out loud that you exist and that you are worthy and deserving of the honor, glory, and all praise. That you are a mighty God that knows all things, can do all things. You look over us, you know us. And you know every single hair on our heads. There is nothing hidden to you. We cannot hide from your presence. We cannot flee from you. But you know, Father, we love you. We love you with all of our heart and with all our strength. And we want, we want, Lord, to be able to find that grace and favor before you every day of our lives. And that our coming and going be with you always. And that you guide us and teach us and correct us. That you guide us. And that if we are doing something wrong, teach us, Lord. We are here to learn. We are here to live a new life with you. And we are here to seek you with all of our heart and all of our strength. Thank you, my Father. Thank you in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. And now, my Lord, my God, you are that divine physician you are that divine physician, and if you have worked many healings, you have healed many people, you've delivered, you've blessed many. And I ask, Lord, that today there are many people who cry out to you and ask to be healed, that you heal their loved ones, those who are at home or in the hospital, and they are suffering of diverse diseases. And they ask you, Lord, they ask for that miracle, for that healing. There are also many people bound by evil spirits, witchcraft, and sorcery curses. I also pray that you have mercy and that you deliver. There are many people, young people and children, possessed by many evil spirits. The world and doctors say that they are schizophrenic. But Lord, you know that it's not this sickness or illness, but it's the spirits in the body of this person. And how difficult it is, Lord, for these people to be free. Only your power, only your love and your mercy, it is the only thing that can deliver them. This is why we ask that you be the one to stretch out your mighty hand and that you destroy these spiritual bonds and these chains these people have and that you deliver and free them so that they no longer suffer and are able to reason their thoughts. They're able to praise your name. My Father, have mercy of, all, of us all. Have mercy of all of them, my Father, in the glorious name I ask. In the name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, glory to the Almighty forever. Thanks be to the Lord. We're going to sing. 
course number 95. I am a debtor. I am a debtor. It says, I am a debtor to the souls that are lost. And it says, sleepless nights for them I spend, but it's not a physicalness. It's not physically being sleepless, but it's our heart. It's the desire that we have for people to believe, for people to hear the things about God and to convert. And we long in one way or another to serve the Lord so that people are saved. That is the sleepless nights. It's a spiritual sleeplessness, not physical. And so we're going to sing this chorus, I'm a debtor. Soy deudor, soy deudor, por las almas que van sin salvación. Soy deudor, soy deudor, por las almas que van sin salvación. Y por ellas me desvelo, heme aquí, envíame Señor, y por ellas me desvelo, heme aquí. and praise is the Lord. Thanks be to our God and thank you very much to you, my dear brothers and sisters. God bless you from the different countries you're watching and with all of my love and affection, a very strong hunk for you all and many kisses to the children. May God bless you and all of you here too. Thank you and God bless you. Until next time.